This podcast contains content and language not suitable for some listeners. Welcome to Oddities and Curiosities, a podcast about murder, the paranormal, and other oddities sure to pique your curiosity. We are Amanda and Brittany. Hello. Hey, girl. Hey. What's up? (laughs) How you doing? I'm great. It's Friday. Yeah. No, it's Wednesday. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, today is Friday. Your day is Wednesday. Yeah. Comes out on a Wednesday. It's fine. Y'all already know we record on Fridays. Okay. Yeah. It's fine because today's National Wine Drink Wine Day or something. Yeah, it is. So we're doing that. Duh. Mm -hmm. We participate. Always. Yeah. Every time. So thank you, Shannon, for bringing that to our attention. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, So it's episode 34. 34. 34. I know. That came quick. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> and <laughs> I've realized that very frightening things happen when you get to episode 34. Why is that? No, it's exciting oh. and frightening. Why is it frightening? The future is scary. Always scary. Change is a coming. Change is a coming. Oh, and we're preparing for changes, and that's terrifying. But we can do it. And the realization has washed over me these past few days that people listen to us, <laughs> like on a regular basis. Yeah, people that we might want to impress. People and in the world they listen yeah. to us. Yep, it's they do. We, it's really starting to hit us. We're not just... It's scary. People are quoting us? Yes. What? What People is that? are quoting us? I've really got to watch my mouth. My dad's right. I have a potty mouth. We both do. Are we, are we really going to try to knock that back a notch? No, I was just saying okay. that. It's fine. Oh, okay. Like, is that what you're saying to me? I don't understand no, what's going just, on here. I've just had this revelation over the past couple of days that you guys are listening to every word we say. And that shit's scary. Because on a normal <laughs> basis, people in normal everyday life don't listen to me. Mm-mm. I have to repeat myself several times because people don't listen to me. Yeah. So, Yeah. This is great. <laughs> anyway, after that moment of self-reflection, okay, yeah. we're after on episode that. 34. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, the Big Apple. The Big Apple. Welcome to New York. I don't I don't know that. Where are you Okay, going? that was the Taylor Swift one. Oh, yeah. I don't know that. No. no take that out. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Two things. Two things. Steven kept me singing last time. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to be the only ass on this podcast. <laughs> No, 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 no. People have come at me. Okay, last time I said, what did I say? Lafayette? Mm-hmm. Y'all, it was a joke. I'm from Louisiana. I know how to say it. <laughs> People came at me. They're like, girl. They did. I'm like, I was kidding. And we're picking on her at work. Yeah. It was a thing. So I, I do know how to pronounce it. I can't pronounce many other words. Yeah. Yeah. So words are hard. It's fine. Those are my two things, but it's fine. 
I sing and make an ass out of myself all the time. So welcome to the party. Yeah, I know, but you can actually <laughs> sing. <laughs> That's debatable. Whatever. I have heard her. Anyway, she can sing. So yeah, it's the Big Apple and it's hump day. Hump day. So I got some delicious hump day treats. Yes, she did. We've I, already sampled. We couldn't help it. No. It's fine. And it was so worth it. Mm-hmm. Because I went to Copeland's mm-hmm. once again. But I got us some New York style cheesecake. Yes, she did. I got strawberry and the other word. <laughs> Mine is dolce de leche. There you go. It's caramel. I got caramel cheesecake. Yeah, it's really, really good. And I was sitting there, I was like, okay, what drinks can we do for this week? So I Googled some stuff and it came up as like a Manhattan, a Cosmopolitan, a martini. And I was like, well, hmm, I don't have enough energy to do a cocktail this week. So I was at the local thrifty liquor. And I found some Stella Rosa, like red apple wine, and it was like fourteen ninety nine a bottle. And I was like, hold on, we're trying to stick cheap. Yeah, we're cheap now, y'all. Just kind of seeing like the quality that we can get out of the cheaper wines. We're a lot funnier. We are a lot funnier when we do the cheap <laughs> stuff. We get really giggly. So I looked down and for five ninety nine there's a bottle of green apple sparkle teeny. Yes. By Verdi. Sure. Verde. It pops like champagne, y'all. Oh my God. Yeah. I was sitting there trying to get it open and I was not strong enough, so I gave it to Brittany. And I got it muscles. Girl got muscles. Muscles. It popped. It was great. It's like a sparkling apple juice. It's oh, going down like, really smoothly. If y'all know anything about us, mm-hmm. you already know that that bottle is damn near gone. Well, it is. Well, it's okay. The distributed. bottle's empty. It's distributed already because we drink out of what I lovingly call Britney size glasses. I've always called it an Amanda size glass too. Look, so. Ah. Yeah, it's, so it's a full glass, full yeah. ass glass. The official glasses that I have determined as our drink glasses um, hold what normal people would consider two glasses of wine, mm-hmm. maybe three. So we have half a bottle of wine each. Yes. So when we and pop I don't them, hate it. <laughs> when we pop the second one, yeah. we'll, we'll pop it for you. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Y'all getting popped by us tonight. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's going down for real. <laughs> <laughs> anybody else just have the music going it's going in their down for real <laughs> yep it's yep. a party in here today it's always a party in here this is gonna be a badass episode just letting y'all know oh my god yes it is i'm so excited i'm always excited to hear your cases but like i don't know this one it's good y'all y'all are getting the good shit yeah saying. yeah i'm giving y'all some good shit too so I didn't have anything in mind when I picked, put the topic on the list, the Big Apple. Okay. I was just thinking, you know, it's a huge city. There's got to be, you know, lots of headliners that we can can do. I like to give us a broad spectrum. And you did. (laughs) We kind of lost. (laughs) I just Googled infamous New York crimes. Samesies. Shut the fuck up. It's like one mind. Oh my God. That's both awesome and, and your terrifying. person actually came up in my list. Yeah. It was like the top 10 crimes. And I was like, I know. Ah! and as soon as I saw her name, I was like, sold. 
because I like all different types of music, uh-huh. but I do enjoy a little punk rock from now, you know, now and again. So, oh, just a little, just a little. <laughs> I have my moments. So, <laughs> my case is on Nancy Spungen. Yay! And if y'all don't know who Nancy Spungen is, then sit back and buckle up because here we go. Click, click. Did you just buckle in? Yeah, I did it once before. I did a little quiet click, click. So, yeah. <laughs> yep. I love it. <laughs> okay. All right. Here we go. You ready? Yep. Okay. Nancy Laura Spungen. Ooh, ooh. Hey, wait. Okay. What? what? Before we get started, mm-hmm. go to Facebook and Instagram. Ah, shit. I know. Almost forgot to. Yes. Go follow us. Go see all the photos. Yes. Because we post everything that we talk about. And y'all, I I got a shit ton of photos this week. I'm just saying. Yeah, we both do. There's a lot of fabulousness to be seen. Yeah. So I can't wait. Do that. Do the things. Okay. Okay. Ready. Yeah. Y'all ready? Okay. Totally ready. Nancy Laura Spungen was born on February 27th, 1958 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. During the delivery, Nancy's umbilical cord was wrapped around her neck, which deprived her of oxygen. Oh, okay. She was born blue and limp. After an eight-day hospital stay, her parents, Deborah and Frank, excitedly brought their daughter home. The mood in the Spungen home shifted from excitement to apprehension when Nancy didn't stop crying. According to Deborah's memoir called, And I Don't Want to Live This Life. Me either. That's daunting. (laughs) Uh, Nancy didn't just cry, she screamed. Oh. Deborah brought Nancy several times to the pediatrician. They tried various soothing and coping mechanisms, including the cry it out method, but nothing worked. Then when Nancy was three months old, the doctor prescribed phenobarbital, just a few drops on her tongue as needed. And this began Nancy's exposure <laughs> to substances. Okay. Wow. So. Wow. Really? Yes. For a three month old. So, if you've got to think, it's 1958. Okay, okay. Yes, yes. It's 1958. Mm-hmm. And they didn't really, like, this This baby, she was brain damaged, really. Yeah, yeah. She was deprived of oxygen. Yeah. And so, medically, they didn't realize that at this point. Mm-hmm. And then, with the medication prescribed yeah. to her. <laughs> yeah, this can't be good. It was 1958. Yeah, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? So. Okay. Yeah. Starting out great. (laughs) (laughs) So Nancy was a precocious child. She spoke in sentences by the time she was a year old. No one quite knew how to deal with Nancy, so they just medicated her. More. Yeah. Okay. Solves all the problems. Totally. At 11, Nancy was expelled from school for truancy and being generally difficult. Okay, well, the truancy is her parents' fault. Mm. Well, sometimes. I'm, I know. That I, You're I, a parent. I know. I know. They're, okay. So I shit have happens. a picture of Nancy as a child. Oh, yeah. I would guess she would be about 11 in this picture. So that's why we're going to look at it now. It says childhood. It sounds good to me. Childhood. She does not look anything <gasps> like she does as an adult, does she? No. Mm-mm. Because I've seen the adult pictures. Yeah. Okay. But look at them pigtails. Look at that cute. cute little pigtails. <laughs> She's adorable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that could go for about 11. Yeah, that was my guesstimate. Good choice. Thanks. Well done. 
She was sent to Devereaux Manor High School, a school for troubled girls. And every time I read that, I think of Blanche Devereaux from the Yeah, Girls. for troubled girls. And That's all her funny. fabulousness. Ooh. Yeah. Let so me she, some Blanche. She went to the bad girl school. Okay. Part of the trouble was that Nancy had a superior intellect. Mm-hmm. She'd later claimed to have an IQ of 172, but this is likely overshooting. Hold the... Whoa, that's but, really high. <laughs> yeah. That, well, that's why they said she was probably overshooting it. Okay. But that was a claim that she had made. But it is proven that she was, like, ridiculously smart. Okay. She was super smart. She just had no... Uh, fucks? Zero fucks. <laughs> that's exactly it. Okay. Yeah. She had impulse control issues and anger issues and other, like... Couldn't control her emotions, so. That actually makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Nancy was very violent towards her younger sister, but surprisingly caring towards her younger brother. Hmm. It has also been said that Nancy even threatened a baby babysitter with a knife at one point. <laughs> <laughs> when okay. she was 15 years old, doctors diagnosed Nancy with schizophrenia. Ah. Which I thought that was too young, but... Mm. At this point, because I thought you were in your early 20s when you started showing signs of schizophrenia. I mean, it can start in puberty, but that that is a little young. And I guess it was the 60s. Mm-hmm. So, this same year, Nancy graduated high school. So, she graduated at 15 also. Damn woman. Okay. I know. Get it, girl. At age 16, Nancy enrolled at the University of Colorado and began using heroin because you those go hand in hand, right? Totally. Okay. I mean, that's what I did. At 16. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Once again, Nancy found herself arrested and expelled after buying drugs from an undercover cop. Whoops. Nancy's dorm room was full of items stolen from other students. And after the Colorado fiasco, Nancy attempted suicide and spent time in a mental hospital. So she's 16 years old and bitch has been through it. Yeah. Oh, that's so sad. I know. Nancy's parents did everything in their power to try to save their daughter. Meanwhile, they had two other children who were often on the receiving end of Nancy's violent outbursts. Eventually, they had to do the best thing for themselves and their other children and let Nancy go her own way. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I know that had to be a super hard decision. Yeah. But... But you've got to protect your other two kids. Like, well, I don't, ooh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not in that situation. Every I can't kid speak. is different. If that's, I mean, if she was capable, uh, it was the 60s. Mm-hmm. It was the 60s. It was the 60s. It was the 60s. Oh, okay. All right. So Nancy decided that the best thing for her was to go to New York City. Yes. Where she became acquainted with the punk scene. Okay. She was only 17 years old, but got a job as a stripper to support herself and her growing drug habit. Right on. Yeah. Living the dream. Mm. (laughs) She sometimes turned to sex work for extra income. She later on became a groupie to bands like Aerosmith, Bad Company, the New York Dolls, and Ramones. Hell yeah. Dude, I'm, I'm not brave enough to be a stripper. No. I can't. I'm just no. like more power to you. I am not brave enough. There are too many lights <laughs> and people. <laughs> Horrific music. All eyes on you. And high heels. Yeah. That's not a good mm. combination. No, no. Can I do it barefoot? And then you'd have to see all this. 
Mm-mm. No, thank you, please. No. Mm-mm. People would <laughs> look at me like <laughs> no, no, you're covering I'm yourself like covering up. up my boobs and I'm wearing like, baby, a baby. You wear a whole long sleeve T-shirt. <laughs> but that just made me think of that scene in Coyote Ugly where her dad's like dancing on the bar and the woman's like, take <laughs> some of it off. off, and then she's like, put, put some of it on. on. <laughs> People would be paying me to put some of it back on. Just saying. <laughs> All right. Let's take. I, I'd bust out my ones for you. <laughs> to put it back on? No. Oh, my God. I would totally be rooting you on. <laughs> With your eyes closed. Here you go, friend. Here yeah. you go, friend. I love you, but I don't want to see you naked. But I will totally support you. Put your boobies right here by my hand so I can stick this money in there. Where is it at? Okay. There, there we go. All right. <laughs> Oh my god! Cheap one. <laughs> Let's drink some more. Mine's almost. No, it's halfway gone. Cheers. Cheers. Mm-hmm. All right, back to the story. Okay. Nancy developed an infatuation with Jerry Nolan of the Heartbreakers. <gasps> I know who the Heartbreakers so, are. Go to the notes. Okay, and I have a picture of the Heartbreakers for yeah. you. Yeah. I have so many thoughts. My first thought is um, the pose of homeboy in the back. Yep. He looks like a creep in a bar who thinks you're beautiful and wants to buy you a drink. Um, <laughs> hey, Foxy lady. <laughs> uh, bro in the front there with my haircut, might I add. <laughs> I like his pose with the guitar. Yeah. or Yeah. But he, he looks like he's sporting my hair with a thicker bang. And the duck face. Is, he is he does a have duck a duck face going on. I like the guy with the sunglasses in the back. He's just mad chilling. I know. That's, I like it. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the heartbreakers. Okay. I mean, they wouldn't break my heart, but what ifs? Yeah. We're good. <laughs> do what you do. Do what you do. All right. Most girls that age have a crush on their favorite celebrities, but few abandon their lives in pursuit of a relationship. Nancy planned to do whatever it takes to insert herself into their world. She became a fixture at New York venues such as uh, CBGB and Max's Kansas City. Don't know either one of those places. Me neither. Until this point, Nancy was a humdrum kind of girl with mousy brown hair and a few extra pounds. (coughs) (laughs) 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 Bitches. Um. Like, every article was like, she was slightly <laughs> overweight. She had a few extra pounds. Mm-hmm. Fuck off. Yeah. You do you, Nancy. There's nothing wrong with that. Yes. And I want to know where she kept her few extra pounds, because she doesn't she, look overweight to me. Yeah. But whatevs. Nobody asked my opinion. Sorry, I had a tangent. No, it's fine. She didn't have the same look as the other groupies. Nancy began to change from a frumpy wannabe into a punk legend, which... Mm. Yes, Queen, you did. Yeah, she did. <laughs> she became a poof of bleach blonde hair and smeared makeup, <laughs> wearing torn fishnets, hey girl, hey. Yeah. And gaudy animal print. Hey. Finally, Nancy looked the way she felt inside. So go to the notes. Yeah. And look at the picture that just says Nancy, that first one. Here is homegirl posing in her new look. Sup, girl. Yes. Oh, my. It's like Stevie Nicks meets Madonna. I know. Look at her lips. Jesus. I know. She's fabulous. Oh every my God. outfit in every picture 
is fucking fabulous. Okay. If it weren't for all the heroin, I could be her bestie. I know. Y'all, yeah. That pesky heroin got in the way. Yep. Okay. Even though she was barely out of her teens, Sex Pistols singer Johnny Rotten would later describe Nancy as a vicious old cow. (laughs) Hold on. She's a teenager. She was 17. Old cow. And he called her a vicious old cow. Because fuck Johnny Rotten, right? Uh, yeah. Nancy surrounded herself with people who looked and spoke as she did, but she didn't find the acceptance she craved. The New York crowd thought Nancy tried too hard and found her personality too intense. They dubbed her Nauseating Nancy. Oh, shit. I know. That's not a good nickname. Mm-mm. No. Oh, poor baby. I know. When the Heartbreakers went to London, Nancy followed... Unfortunately for her, Jerry Nolan made it clear that he had no interest in her. Nancy enjoyed being part of the London crowd so much that she decided to stay anyway. Nancy was all things quintessentially punk rock. Mm. She was unapologetic, abrasive, opinionated, and prone to fits of violence. I like her. all pretty punk rock to me. (laughs) Uh, The London punk scene never asked Nancy to stop raging against life, but they didn't accept her entirely either. Mm-mm. She didn't have the same gritty and impoverished upbringing that the UK crowd shared. Her family was an upper middle class, affluent Jewish American family. Ah, okay. She was obnoxious and loud with a terrible pretended British accent. Oh, honey. Why, honey? Why? You don't do that to yourself. You're trying just a little bit too hard. Calm down. You're fabulous in your own right. Right. Love yourself. Yes. That is good advice. Yeah. Listen up, kids. There better not be no fucking kids. Oh, Listen. Lord. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. We're in trouble. <laughs> it was... <laughs> Shit. <laughs> That's what the disclaimer's for. Drink. <laughs> okay. If you insist. <laughs> All right. It was no secret that Nancy was a prostitute... And junkie. Prostitute is not my word. It's the word of all the many articles I read. Mm -hmm. It's okay. okay. Mm -hmm. Heroin was her drug of choice, and it wasn't readily available in the UK like it was in New York. Oh, now she's got to go to something else. Yeah. Okay. Nancy spent her first six months in London dope sick and staying at a friend's house. Mm. When she eventually secured a drug dealer, she used heroin to wiggle her way into inner circles. She couldn't do it using sex, so she brought the drugs. Ah. If she couldn't be what men wanted, she became what they needed. Adapting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well. Do what you do, boo. Yeah. <laughs> do what you do. At least she's not using her body anymore, so step right. up. Yeah. Okay. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe we're trying to justify that. I know. <laughs> so I'm sitting here going, oh my God. <laughs> it is what it is. You do you. Uh, yeah. Around this time, Nancy began to follow an established English band called the Sex Pistols yeah. and met the great love of her life, Sid Vicious. Yes. So go to the notes. Okay. And look at the very first picture that just says Sid and Nancy. And here they are hanging out together in all their punk rock glory. They look so cute together. God, he's not does baby. not look good in that picture. No, nah, baby. Can we just talk about her accessories for a moment? Yeah, I'm loving her. I love the bracelet and the necklace and the black eyeliner. Uh-huh. 
And really, he can go fuck himself. Yeah. Do you see what shirt he's wearing? He can go fuck himself. He's oh, wearing... Oh, I just... Okay, yeah. He's wearing that shirt and a lot of pictures. Okay. Yeah. So, he's, he's garbage. He's wearing the padlock chain. That has, like, recently come back into style within the past couple of years. Uh, yeah, because it's awesome. Yeah. So, I do like that and the leather jacket, but mm-hmm. all that can go. He can go. I just want to borrow their accessories. And I, I just... I don't know. Okay, so here we are <laughs> in the mid 1970s. The Sex Pistols repulsed parents and captivated their fans across the UK. Yeah, let's go take a look at a picture of that band. Okay, it says the Sex Pistols. Yeah, and there you see fuckboy Sid Vicious with his hands in his pockets of his studded leather jacket. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the other fucktards. They. Oh my I, god, I just can't. Are they okay? <laughs> I just want you to soak this in for a second. Okay. Have you, are you familiar with Sex Pistols music? Yes. Can you see this dude in the blazer or (laughs) that guy that looks like a hobbit grinning like that? Like, can you see them playing that music? I can't. Like, I can't. (laughs) The dude in the blazer, I forgot what his name was. Uh, He looks like he's like from some 80s band. Yes. Yes. What is he doing there? I, I don't know. I okay. Don't know. Yeah. But, yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I had to use that picture because they look like such a mis- like mishmash of people. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. On the base was punk rock poster boy Sid Vicious. Mm-hmm. Sid was born John Simon Ritchie on May 10th, 1957 in the South London borough of Lewisham. Lewisham? Okay. Nailed it. Sure. Uh, Sid's childhood was a huge contrast to Nancy's. Sid's father was a guard at Buckingham Palace and his mother was a drug smuggling hippie named Anne. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Here for Anne. I like it. <laughs> Sid's father vanished, and his mother took him on trips to Spain, where she would hide hashish in his diaper to sneak it over the border. Great. So, that's a thing. hmm When Sid was a teen, Anne was more of a drug buddy to Sid than a mom. No. This led to him dropping out of school. Sid joined the band Sex Pistols and was only let in because of his punk attitude. He could not actually play the bass... And his uh, instrument was either turned down or completely turned off during concerts. Shut up. Yeah, because I didn't know that. They just wanted his look because you saw what they looked like. Okay, okay. That, yeah, I, I get that. He was bringing up their cool factor. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. They turned his. Yeah, I didn't know that. I was like, man, slap in the face, right? Sure, you can join our band. Let's just turn this. Was knob he down aware a bit. that it was turned down? Had to be. Oh, uh, <laughs> I don't know, dog. I don't okay. know. When fate placed Sid and Nancy in each other's paths, it spelled death for them both. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. Let's go look at a picture of Sid and Nancy. Okay. It says Sid and Nancy one. All right. What is up with his eye? I was just fixing to say, 
Like he has a thing with the eye. I noticed in the other picture he's like winking, so that's fine. But what is he doing in this photo? What is that? It makes me want to do like we did to Delana. Can you even see? Are your eyes even open? (laughs) Sorry, Boomer. We love you. Love you, Boo. But yeah. But um, once again, she is fucking phenomenal. Mm badass bitch right there that, it didn't matter what face she's making what clothes she's wearing she looks awesome yeah jelly i love her necklace right Mm-hmm. most of the band members despised nancy but sid found her brand of realness and grit appealing he was already strung out as much as nancy was and the pair became became <laughs> and the pair became joined at the hip that's so sweet. They moved into Sid's mother's apartment together. <laughs> Still sweet. Yep. Sid and Nancy had a passionate relationship sprinkled with bouts of violence and abuse from both parties. Fun. She, yeah. Sid brought out a quality in Nancy that baffled those who knew her best. She became nurturing in her own twisted way. Okay. This, yeah. I guess. You love somebody, you want to take care of them. I don't know. Okay. (laughs) I don't know. I'm always the mother hen, so I don't know know what it's like to not not be. Yeah, I don't get it. Um, The Sex Pistols tour of America began in early 1978. Their manager, Malcolm McLaurin, made it clear that Nancy was not welcome, and she was beyond furious. Nancy was not welcome amongst most of Sid's friends, and she didn't know anyone else. People only tolerated Nancy when Sid was around. Damn. I know. How sad, right? Was she that annoying? I guess. Seems to be the common. Or maybe they were just that <laughs> shitty. <laughs> There's no way to know. There's, that's true. I mean, considering the company that she was in. Like, yeah. There's no way to really judge it. Okay. Sid didn't think much of the U.S. at first. It was boring. Their manager, Malcolm, in his infinite wisdom... Booked them in the most unlikely places. Listen, listen to where they were playing concerts. Okay. Okay. The Sex Pistols punk rock was playing <clears throat> in the Deep South, the Bible Belt, and Texas, eventually ending up in San Francisco. San Francisco would be the only place that they would be accepted. You don't go to the South in the Midwest. The Bible Belt in Texas. <laughs> The Sex Pistols traveling. <laughs> could you imagine? No. That couldn't have gone well. But- <laughs> no. Their manager needs to be fired. Right. These American crowds were not fully ready for the angsty, distorted <laughs> sound the band made famous in the UK. I bet not. <laughs> the entire tour was a series of shit shows that usually ended in fights. By the time they made it to the West Coast, Sid had found the one thing he had enjoyed about the U.S., Really good heroin. Well, I'm so glad he found something. Right. Sid's addiction became a sore point with his band members who were surprisingly straight-laced. Surprisingly my ass, really. Look at him. Um, Straight-laced for a punk band, but compared to the picture, I I could have called it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Without Nancy, they had to babysit Sid, and that alone was a full-time job. Oh, hell no. Mm -mm. No. The Sex Pistols played their last show on January 14th, 1978 at Winterland Ballroom in San Francisco. Sid showed up high and acted arrogant. Singer Johnny Rotten abruptly closed the concert with one question. 
Ever get the feeling you've been cheated and Ooh. stormed off stage? The Damn. Sex Pistols officially disbanded shortly after. The newspapers reported Nancy as an attention whore, and after the band broke up, they called her Yoko Ono on steroids more than once. Damn. Nancy appointed herself the manager of Sid Vicious as a solo artist. Mm-hmm. She thought Sid would get more work in the States than he could in London. She tried to rebrand him, and she didn't do a terrible job. Mm-hmm. Even though he couldn't play the bass, his singing voice wasn't half bad. Okay. Sid and Nancy moved into room 100 at the Chelsea Hotel under the names Mr. and Mrs. John Simon Ritchie. Because that was Sid's real name. Right. The Chelsea Hotel was famous among artists and musicians. Yeah, it was. Figures like Bob Dylan, Janis Joplin, Iggy Pop, and Jimi Hendrix had all called it home at one point, along with painters like Jackson Pollock and Andy Warhol. Yeah. So I have a picture for you okay. of the Chelsea Hotel. Isn't she lovely? She is. <laughs> Isn't she lovely? Oh, hey. Okay. Um, okay, it sounded good to us. I don't. <laughs> we've had a half a bottle of wine, so. Yeah. But um, I'm putting this on the list. I want to go there. Okay, I'm down. Let's okay. go. They hold up and attempted to go straight, sort of. Okay. The room became their love nest, as well as a drug den, where all manner of dealers and users congregated. Sure. They located a methadone clinic and took their medicine. Oh, good. Yeah, because um, methadone works. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, they didn't stop taking the street drugs, mm-hmm. including heroin and other opiates. Yeah. So go to the notes and look at the picture that says Nancy, too. That is a picture of her. Oh. On the bed in their room. Honey love. Yeah. That is the only picture in which she does not look fabulous. She looks like she's been up for a day or two. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. sure yeah. Love it. Oh, my gosh. How many beer bottles and stuff are down there? I don't want to look. Mm-hmm. I don't want to know. Nah. Yep. Nah. Oh. I mean, that just makes me sad, though. I know. A little... Uh, and... <laughs> words. <laughs> Okay. Nancy and Sid were together for around 19 months. So all this shit happened. Wow. In 19 months. Wow. Mm-hmm. That is a lot. Okay. All right. Their relationship was very violent on both sides. However, Sid had been reported to the police for domestic violence. So it's believed that Nancy is the one who got most of the abuse. The drugs made Sid paranoid and he had begun to collect knives. Nancy had bought him a new knife with leopard print. <laughs> Oh, that's so cute. Animal print was her thing. Right. (laughs) On October 12th, 1978, the switchboard operator at the Chelsea Hotel received a phone call from an outside line. There's trouble in room 100, the caller said and hung up. A second call came in before the bellman could make his way to the room. Someone is sick. Need help. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. So here we go. Yep. The night before, Sid recalled falling asleep around 1 a.m. He last remembered Nancy sitting at the edge of the bed toying with a knife. They just had a fight that included Sid hitting Nancy and Nancy hitting Sid. The couple had visited a friend in room 119 earlier that evening. The friend told the police that Sid was very depressed and had complained that he was ugly. Well, if the shoe fits. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> I mean, he is, but uh, okay. Stop it. <laughs> Vicious had also taken a knife to his throat at one point. Bruh. 
Later, they entertained several friends back in their room. Witnesses say he ingested unheard of amounts of strong sedatives and passed out. Ooh. Sid woke up from his stupor around 1030 that morning. He initially thought he urinated on himself, but quickly realized the wetness he felt was blood. He stumbled to the bathroom and found Nancy sitting on the floor beneath the sink with a stab wound in her belly. According to Sid, she was still breathing at that time. He didn't think she was dying, so he went to the methadone clinic. Oh, my God. Nancy bled to death while he was away. So if you go to the notes, I have two crime scene pictures. <gasps> you the, have crime scene photos. The first one I want you to look at is the one that says crime scene one. Okay. <gasps> that's the bed that he woke up in that was like covered uh, in blood mm-hmm that's, okay yeah there's then, a little bit of blood there the next picture is graphic and we'll okay. need to decide if we want to share it or not okay it's her body oh exactly as they found her this was in the paper okay yikes yeah uh so we'll decide i don't know maybe we'll think on it okay it doesn't reveal anything. Yeah. But it is a dead body. Yeah. Okay. In a panic, Sid washed the knife of blood and attempted to clean Nancy up also. When he couldn't clean her, he called for help. He wasn't there when the bellman came up and found Nancy lifeless and clad in black bra and panties. The police later found him pacing the halls confused and seemingly unsure of the events leading up to this point. I'm, I'm sure he was freaking the fuck out. Yeah. And hi. Yeah, he that's not a good combination. Yeah, yeah. Police promptly arrested Sid. So I have two pictures to show you right here. Two. Okay. The first one is arrest. So there's him being led out of the Chelsea Hotel. Okay. By police officers, and his eye, that's the widest I've ever seen his eyes. So you know he's fucked off. <laughs> it's open now. Mm-hmm. Oh. And then the other one says mugshot. Dude. Yeah. Fix your hair. Yeah. The little thing he's got going on his cheek. That drives me insane. Mm -hmm. I just want to move it. Get it out your face. Ah! Initially, several sources reported that he confessed to the crime, which was why the police hadn't suspected anyone else. However, after the arrest, Sid Vicious recanted, claiming he had been asleep while the murder had occurred. The public, including Vicious's friends and family, believed him. And I have a quote from his former manager, uh, Malcolm McLaurin. Oh, okay. She was his first and only love of his life. I am positive about Sid's innocence. So, hmm. go to the notes. I have another picture of Sid and Nancy just because. It says Sid and Nancy 2. And oh, okay. they are obviously <laughs> on that shit. Look at his eye. You There's, can tell when he's fucked up. Uh-huh. There's his eye again. <laughs> Okay, she's got a creepy smile in this one. Yeah, because she's obviously fucked up. Yeah. Look at her smeared makeup and the circles in her eyes. Yeah. Baby girl. Yeah. Uh, God, he's such a Mm-mm. tool. They just like... What is he holding up to her face? There's no one to know. Nancy mm. was an addict. This is an indisputable fact. Yeah. She was also mentally ill and abrasive. But she was human and deserved justice. Amen. But so did Sid. Okay. The police saw Nancy's death as an open and shut case. Nancy is dead on the bathroom floor and Sid is in the other room. It is easy to say that Sid did it. Reporters yeah. spoke of her death with a, quote, junkies will be junkies, end quote, attitude. 
come on. Yeah. Nancy had the right to a thorough investigation, and that never happened. The most prominent theory... Okay, okay. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, okay. I'm about to touch on all the theories for you. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to need you to, because I'm going, what? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. You're not... I'm just going to go ahead and tell you now, you're not going to get any closure. God damn it, Brittany! But here's the theories. Okay. The most prominent theory is that Sid killed Nancy in the night. He was arrested that morning and charged with second-degree murder. If we accept Sid's guilt as fact, more questions arise. On the night Nancy died, the couple had no heroin. Instead, Sid took lots of strong sedatives. Mm -hmm. Witnesses present that evening claim Sid ingested at least 30 tablets. (gasps) If this is true, Sid would scarcely be able to lift the weight of his own hand, much less thrust a hunting knife into Nancy's abdomen. I concur. Sid wasn't the only questionable character in the room that night. A man called, okay, get this shit, Rocket's Red Glare was there too. Are you freaking kidding me? Let's go look at a picture of this character, Rocket's Red Glare. Okay. Ew. Creepy Mick Creeperson, right? Ew. Yeah. He looks like a pedophile. I know. Ew. Like he drives a white van with blacked out windows gross yeah all night long rockets freely came in and out of the unlocked room he was sitting nancy's bodyguard and drug dealer the same person who provided the sedatives nice at around 1 a.m after sid passed out nancy begged rockets for delauded police never questioned him they never questioned any one of the identified six people who left their fingerprints at the crime scene except for sid Nobody was questioned. They just arrested Sid. What the? Others claim a man named Michael also came into and out of the room. No one seems to know his last name, only that Michael was also a resident of the Chelsea. Interestingly enough, Rocket's actual name was Michael Mora. Oh, shut up. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) (laughs) That's a big dun, dun, dun. I know. Holy crap. Shit's going down. Oh, my God. Bro. Oh, my God. Dude, that dilated is some serious stuff. That's what they give me when I get kidney stones. Mm-hmm. It's good shit. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Before Rockets died of drug-related illnesses in 2001, he openly bragged that he killed Nancy. Mm. Some say Rockets had a habit of telling tall tales. Yeah. But Rockets, this is fucking ridiculous. Rockets. Ugh. They might as well end it with a Z. <laughs> <laughs> you poor thing. <laughs> but Rockets also had a wad of cash bound with Nancy's purple hair tie. Okay. Sid and Nancy's money, as much as $25,000, was inexplicably missing when Nancy died. Hmm. And then he just had all mm-hmm. this money tied together with her hair tie. I have a theory. Uh, so do I. Okay. And we're probably yeah. thinking along the same wavelength. Probably. Everyone who knew Nancy knew she was on a death trip. She often claimed she would die young before age 21. Could it be that Nancy stabbed herself? This theory sounds extreme, but Nancy was an intense person with a history of self-injury. In her teen years, Nancy once inserted a coat hanger into her vagina 
with enough force to puncture her uterus <gasps> because she falsely believed she was pregnant. Oh, my God. She was trying to do an abortion on herself? And she was not even pregnant. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, that's so... So, while I don't always agree with abortion, I believe we need to have the choice to have one. Yeah. Because that shit doesn't need to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Anywho, not Mm. getting on that soapbox right now. Mm -mm. Yeah. Um, (laughs) We gotta stay away from that one. Um... (laughs) Nancy made several suicide attempts, and some of them were nearly successful. Nancy mm-hmm. might have created a single stab wound to the abdomen and died. Nancy was well known in the media for loving attention, so some people believe it was her attempt to get attention, and she didn't realize it would actually kill her. Mm-hmm. That's so. part of my theory. Mm, I don't like it. Ugh. Sid and Nancy's relationship was very violent on both sides. So maybe during uh, Nancy and Sid's fight that night, he stabbed her. After that, he fell asleep because of all the sedatives. Because of the drugs in Nancy's system, she didn't realize how bad her injuries were and just tried to sleep it off. This would explain why Nancy didn't call for help, even though she could easily have gotten it. Proof of this is that the knife used was lying on a suitcase in the room. It was clean, but Vicious had blood on his hands. He claimed that the blood was from when he had touched Nancy to see if she was alive. I mean, or from all the blood in the bed. Yeah. You know. (sighs) Nancy could have been saved that night if anyone had the presence of mind to help her. Yeah. She bled slowly for hours before her injury became fatal. Oh, God. During this time, neighbors claimed to have heard moans coming from the room. But this was Sid and Nancy's place. Yeah. Moaning would be a welcome change from the yelling, fighting, and sex they'd typically hear. Why didn't Nancy scream? She had been screaming and fighting since she was a baby. Instead, after the stabbing, Nancy roamed around the little room. She didn't call for help, and she didn't try to wake Sid. Well, like you said, she was Mm drug-induced. Unfortunately, we will never know who killed Nancy Spungen. Sid died at age 21 on February 2nd, 1979, of a heroin overdose while out on bail. He was partying in a Greenwich Village apartment when he was found by his mother and new girlfriend. With Vicious dead, the police dropped Nancy Spungen's murder case. Their prime suspect was gone, and to them, it appeared pointless to pursue the case any further. Had he lived and gone to trial, he could have been cleared of the crime because there was not enough investigation and way too many variables. Yeah, so they shouldn't close the case. The fuck? The fuck. Okay. It was the 70s. Mm. New York City police. Do better. Do better. Today, fans think of Sid and Nancy's story as some romantic tale. There is nothing romantic about dying a slow, preventable death. No. Nancy's family did everything they could, and the addiction still won. There was a lack of awareness in the medical community then regarding mentally ill children, birth injury, and addiction treatment. Yeah. We've come a long, long way in those aspects. Thank God. For Nancy, it was too late. She was just 20 years old. Nancy is buried in a family plot at King David Memorial Park. When Sid died, his mother asked to scatter her son's ashes on Nancy's grave. Nancy's mother politely declined. Yeah. Rumor holds that she spread them there anyway. Nancy's headstone reads, Your odyssey is over. Sleep in peace. And I'm going to end this whole shebang with a quote from Nancy and one more picture of her. Okay. 
I won't live to be 21. I'm never going to be old. I don't ever want to be ugly and old. I'm an old lady now anyhow. I'm 80. There's nothing left. Oh, oh my God. Oh, my God. I know. That is so crazy and sad at the same time. And go look at the last picture of her. It says Nancy won with her beautiful blonde curls. You know what? I can kind of see that young girl in that picture. That face shape. Yeah. Oh, I love the outfit, though. Right? Always. Damn. But that That's it. That was my case. Holy crap. Oh, my God. 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 My brain is, like, going 90 miles an hour right now. So many thoughts. So we liked it. Loved it. Thank you very much. Loved it so much. Oh, my gosh. Do we dare say our theories? Do we dare conversate about it? Sure. I don't know. I'll tell you what I think. Well, I had a theory, and then I heard a few more things, so now I'm going, I don't know. You go first. Go. I think that Rockets did it. Mm -hmm. Mm. I think he was involved. I what I think happened is he was I'm not I'm not certain of the motivation if like he was an addict himself or if he had a thing for Nancy and was rejected maybe yes that's what I think yeah and so he got Sid all fucked up mm-hmm. and tried to make whatever moves he was gonna make mm-hmm. and it didn't work out. And in anger, mm-hmm. he stabbed her, not realizing he was killing her. Just out of anger? Just out of okay. anger, stabbed her, and then took the money for whatever he needed it for. That's why I'm thinking maybe he was an addict as well. I don't know, but I think he did it. I definitely think he did it. We were thinking the same thing, but mine went a little bit more twisted after that because he just seems like the type, like... <sighs> Maybe even after she died, to sit there and, like, caress her, maybe. Why and would you get to that because point? Because he just looks like that type. He does look like a creeper. Psychotic creeper. Yeah, I just, I think there was a... Imp- he watched her die? You think he watched her die? Well, Sid woke up at 10 a.m. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. Uh, but I, two different people called because the first right. phone call came from outside the building and the second phone call came from inside the building. Yeah. And it said that Sid made the second phone call. Yeah. And then left the apartment before they got up there. So. So who made the first call? Mm-hmm. Rockets. Probably. Like maybe he freaked out and was like, oh crap, this is what I've done. Look what I've done to my precious baby. And mm-hmm. then he started like I don't know. I don't know. I can just totally see him being like, oh, my angel, my baby, my precious, you have, perfect woman. You've written a movie in your brain. Yep. I did. I see the whole scene <laughs> playing out. <laughs> it's a good place to be. It's a lot of entertainment going on in here. <laughs> I'm dead. I'm dead. <laughs> I'm going to vape and drink wine and eat cheesecake now while you tell me stories. <laughs> Before I tell you stories, I'm getting the other bottle. Yep, do that. Okay. All right. All right. Bottle number two. Y'all ready? Y'all. This one is... This one's raspberry. Raspberry. I don't know. I was like, well, in case the apple one is too much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> y'all. Drink, y'all. <laughs> Yo, Aram, I really... Y'all drink. Y'all drink.
nice. Very nice. All right. Pouring. Glug, 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 you hear that? Glug. That all that is go. Oh my gosh! A little bubbly. All right, the rest is yours. Mm. Oh, this is so good. <laughs> this cheesecake is really, really good. Yeah. Okay, I'm just gonna try this raspberry stuff. It's like sex good. Mmm. Raspberry good. This is really good too. So do, do I need to chug my apple? You might need to. I'm on it. They're both really good. I did not expect mm. them to be this good. And they have a lot of flavors. Five dollars. Five dollars. I'm on for five dollars. Yeah. Are you ready? Yes, ma'am. Okay. I got another headline thing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 37 saw murder. Didn't call police. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. What? Mm-hmm. Got me. In the early morning hours of March 13th, 1964, Catherine Kitty <coughs> Genovese was returning home from work when she was murdered. Two weeks later, the crime was sensationalized in a New York Times article, which stated that 38 witnesses did nothing as she was repeatedly attacked. The story captivated people for decades, though most of it was flawed. In a 2016 article, the Times revisited its 1964 piece and acknowledged its pivotal role in creating what's referred to as Kitty Genovese Syndrome. Okay. Over the years, Kitty became so associated with her murder and the bystander apathy effect that um, until fairly recently, little focus has been given to who she really was before her untimely death. So who is Kitty? Tell me. Okay. Catherine Susan Kitty Genovese was born on July 7th, 1935 in Brooklyn, New York, to Italian-American parents, Vincent and Rachel. All right. The oldest of five, Kitty and her siblings were raised in a four-family row house in Park Slope a neighborhood known for housing Italian and Irish families. I have a picture of Kitty. Okay. Okay. I love this photo of her. Well, isn't she cute as a button? Hey, girl. Look <laughs> at her in her sassy little party dress. Uh-huh. Get uh-huh. it? All right. Yeah. Here for that. I like her. As a teenager, Kitty attended Prospect Heights High School, an all-girls Catholic school where she thrived in her English and music classes and was elected class cut-up among her graduating class of 712 students. All right. Go, Kitty. Mm-hmm. She was always known as a talkative and energetic person who was very popular in school. Everybody wanted to be a part of Kitty's clique. She was the type that you couldn't help but love. She was smart and sophisticated, but laid back and sarcastic and had a smile that made you feel all warm and fuzzy. Oh, what nice things. I might have a small girl crush on her. Just a little bit. I'm a little jelly. Why are you jelly? I want people to say nice things like that about me. Well, after you die, we will. (laughs) (laughs) Gee, thanks. Right now, I'm just like the smart-assy girl with resting bitch face. What's wrong with that? I want to have a warm, fuzzy smile. Okay. My smile looks like this. Like, I'm going to murder you. (laughs) God. Wow. 
do you feel all warm and fuzzy inside now? <laughs> Not a Not bit. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to see a picture of her and her teens? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> yes, I would. <laughs> Trying to keep it happy for now, okay? Quit bringing it down. Sorry. Okay. Here I am, happy. All right. She All was. Right. There's actually a video of her that I. That coat's pretty fabulous. I know. She and she's. Oh my gosh. I'll um. I'll post the video of her like dance because this is her actually like dancing around at the in the courtyard of the school. Okay. And she's so cute. So I just I just love this little still frame. Couldn't resist it. At home, she was her younger brother Bill's favorite. They were extremely close and had a bond that I think maybe her older brothers were a little envious of. They talked about everything because according to him, Kitty always took the time to answer all the questions. Aww. How sweet is that? Even when she was old enough to live on her own, she would visit on the weekends and still have time for those late night chats. Oh, I know. In 1954, when Bill was six, their mother witnessed a horrifying murder that prompted the family to move out of the city to New Canaan, Connecticut. That is terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Went to the suburbs. Kitty, having just graduated from high school, decided not to follow her family to the suburbs and instead remained in the city with her grandparents to prepare for her upcoming marriage. No! To Rocco Anthony Fazilar. You don't want that last name, boo. No. <laughs> you don't want to be a Fazilar. Get this, though. They married on October 31st, ah. 1954. But the marriage was soon annulled and the two divorced in 1956. That's a good day, though. Right? I thought so. Lots of good things. I like that day. On October 31st. Yeah. Legends are born on October 31st. Rock on. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. So she then moved into an apartment of her own in Brooklyn and began working as a barmaid after she found her work as a secretary to be dreadfully boring. Of course. Of course it was dreadfully boring. Yeah, it's a secretary. But um, don't call me a barmaid. That's a terrible name. I know. I know. I But there's several it articles that have quoted her as a barmaid, so I kept it in there. I know. It was the 50s. I know. It's not my word. Okay? Y'all don't come after me. <laughs> Not over that. Not over this. <laughs> Other things, but not over this. Kitty was a headstrong and hardworking woman. She found a job at Ev's 11th Hour Bar in Hollis, Queens. She moved up and became the manager. Get it, Kitty. Filling in. <laughs> oh, Kitty, Kitty. <laughs> Heard it as it came out of my mouth. Yep. <laughs> um, she filled in for the absentee owner. It was like Cheers, and everybody definitely knew her name. Man, how cool would that be? I know. I need a Seriously. Cheers. Well, I want everybody to go, Brit, when I walk in. It's Brittany! Yeah. I need that. I need that in my life. You want me to do that when you come into work on Monday? Yes, please. Okay. <laughs> okay. I won't have any alcohol, because it's not permitted, but I'll I'll give you a cheer. Okay. I'll take a cheer. Okay. I'm so extra sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> of course, she was friends with everybody and they all adored her. Most of them were elderly men who loved to have chats with her because of her witty banter. 
She was one of the boys. Yeah, I'm sure she was one of the boys. She was one of the boys. Oh, I know, but I'm saying to them, <laughs> she was not one of the boys. Oh, no, they all knew. They wanted some kitty kitty. Okay. Okay. They wanted some okay. kitty kitty. They wish they could have some kitty kitty, but they mm-hmm. couldn't get no kitty kitty from mm-hmm. kitty kitty. <laughs> so. Yeah, to all those things. Yeah. I have a picture of Kitty's Place. Is <laughs> what I've titled it. Go go down to Miss Kitty's Place. <laughs> okay. Get you a nice hooker. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> okay, so there okay. she is. How cute is that picture? <laughs> Isn't she cute? I mean, she's like, "Sup?" Yeah. See, Kitty's place. Yeah, like she just—that really does fit her. Mm-hmm. I like it. At one point in 1961, she was even arrested for taking bets on horse races from bar patrons and fined fifty bucks. Oh my goodness. Her previous employer wasn't okay with it and she lost her job for that one. But oh, now she's no. at Evs, so it doesn't really matter. But I do have a picture that says Bookie. This is actually her mug shot and this is Ooh, eyebrow. Yeah. Girl. Okay. This is the most famous picture of her. Because of the eyebrows. Because I'm sure. I mean God, look at her eyelashes. Like she's just so naturally pretty Mm -hmm. love the hair love all of it rocket queen but yeah that that photo is really famous but at first people didn't realize that that was a mugshot when they started using it yeah so you know i mean she could be put in like the most beautiful mugshots ever list kitty's extremely reliable and positive attitude was even reflected in her salary she made roughly $750 a month. I know that doesn't seem like much, but it's like 6800 a month now. Wow. Wow. I need to make them the kind of dollars. I know. And she was saving this money to fulfill her dream of opening her own Italian restaurant. And she can cook. Yep. All right. She got her own house. She got her own car. Two jobs, work hard. You a bad broad. <laughs> oh, my stars. Yeah, all that. Uh, <laughs> <coughs> all right. Queen had a red Fiat convertible. Okay. Mm-hmm. You want to see it? Mm-hmm. All right. There's a picture of her sitting on her car. It says her car. She is a bad bitch. Look at yeah, her. Yeah, she is. She is proud of it. Get it, kitty. And then I have a picture of a, what uh, her little red Fiat would have looked like. I kind of want one. I know. Just a little cruiser car. That's pretty fucking cute. Isn't it? Put the top down. Gone. Bye. Mm. Road trip car. There we go. That's our New Orleans trip car. I'm down. Okay, go buy one. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Not it. <laughs> Not it. <laughs> Ow. Ow. No L. I rubbed it on the thing. Oh, y'all, Brittany got a brand new tattoo today. And I rubbed it on the thing. It's precious, though. It's so I love cute. it. Should we post pictures? When it's healed, I'll post a picture. Because it's super swollen right now. It's so sweet, though. It's my, it's my Ashton tattoo. Yeah. Because her heart grew three sizes that day. Yeah. <laughs> so, Baby Boy's first favorite movie was The Grinch. Yeah. So, I got a tattoo of a Grinch heart breaking the measuring device. Yes. From the original movie. Yep. 
because the day I got him, my heart grew three sizes. It's so corny <laughs> and perfect. It's so sweet. I like the corny from time to time. I do. It's it's mm-hmm. it's super cute. Yeah, and they did a really good job. Yeah. Shout out to Wendy at Body Electric because she's fabulous. Yeah. Hey, girl. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> She was seriously lost in her tattoo just then. Well, I was looking to make sure I didn't muss anything because, like, I, I really scraped it hard up against that. But I'm good. I have some of that clear, sticky stuff that you put on top of it. What's no. it called? That's for pussies. Okay. It just protects <laughs> stuff from getting on it. Damn. <laughs> Thanks. You would have thought I kicked her puppy. The look that was on her face. She just called me a pussy. <laughs> wow. Thanks. No, it's fine. Thank you, though. <laughs> You're welcome. Back to the story. <laughs> her dad used to ask her why she didn't have a man. She said, Dad, I don't need a man. I make more money than a man does, so I don't need one. I have my own car. I have my own place. And there may have been another reason why men weren't turning her head. Mm-hmm. On March 13th, 1963, Kitty met Mary Ann Zelonko. At an underground bar in Greenwich Village. Mm-hmm. The two fell fast for one another and ultimately decided to move in together. They were known to most people as roommates. It was dangerous to be gay in the 60s. Mm-hmm. It was only five years before the Stonewall riots. There were actually groups of men that would go out hunting for homosexuals. Yeah. Disgraceful. Mm-hmm. Just like the groups of men that would go out hunting for black people. Mm-hmm. Evolve people. <sighs> they found an apartment on the second floor of a two-story building next to the Long Island Railroad in Kew Gardens, Queens, at 8270 Austin Street. She even brought Mary Ann back to her parents' place on the weekends sometimes. Mm-hmm. They had an adorable black little poodle named Andrew. Oh, I love dogs with human names. Yes. I have an Alice. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, Andrew Mm -hmm. and Alice. That's so cute. (laughs) He was a gift from Kitty as an I'm sorry present for an argument they had one night. They were really, really happy there. Marianne said it was the happiest year of her life. I found a photo of Marianne. Okay. Quit eating your damn cheesecake and go to the girl. (laughs) I can't help it. (laughs) I'm slaughtering this shit over here. I'm saving it. I might eat it for breakfast. It's got strawberries on it. It counts as like fresh fruits, right? (laughs) And dairy, right? Yeah. And if you look the icing off a cupcake, it's a muffin. Okay. (laughs) So you get my point then. I'm there with you. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. Hey, Marianne. Yeah. She's got cute little freckles. Isn't she? Mm -hmm. I thought so. I like her. She's not kitty cute. She's not kitty cute, but she's cute. Cute. She's Marianne cute. Okay. Yeah. On March 13th, 1964, exactly one year after she met Kitty, it would unfortunately turn out to be the worst night of her life. The night she had to identify the body of her soulmate. Oh, no. Thank you, please. Yeah. She was so heartbroken and in shock that when it came time to leave the morgue, she refused to leave because she wanted to wait for Kitty. Oh, no, honey. I know. So, all right, here we go. (laughs) Here's how it all went down. That night, Marianne went out bowling with some friends and then came home and went to bed. Kitty worked at Ev's that night till about 6 p.m., had dinner with a guy friend, and ended up back at Ev's around midnight. 
He left, but she stayed there for a while. It was something she did all the time, and it was really normal for her to take the late trip home alone. It was a safe neighborhood, the type where people didn't worry about locking doors or, you know, walking alone in the dark. Around 2.30 in the morning on March 14th, Kitty began to drive home, eager to get there to see her girlfriend on their first anniversary. <sighs> At a traffic light on Hoover Avenue, Kitty was first spotted by Winston Mosley as he sat in his parked car hunting. Mosley, a 28-year-old man who punched data cards for a business machine company, had left his wife and two sons asleep in their home around 1 a.m. He drove around for hours with a knife in his pocket, purposely looking for a victim. He spotted Kitty around 3 a.m. I have a picture of this douchebag. All right. He got the crazy eyes. Indeed he does. For sure. No, thank you. Yeah, he kind of creeps me out. Yeah. Roughly 45 minutes from the time she departed the bar, Kitty arrived home and parked her car in the railroad parking lot, just feet from the front door to her building. In the few steps that it took her to walk toward the apartment complex, Mosley had already exited his vehicle and was in pursuit. Okay. Go to the notes, and I have a picture of the parking lot. To the right is where she parked her car, like the very right of the picture. Okay. And down there to the very left of the photo where you can see that red awning, mm-hmm. that's pretty much how far she walked. Okay. Um, it's a little bit further down than that, but not much. Uh, then I have a picture of the front of the building. I'm just going to like let you get acquainted with what it looks like. Okay. So the building front, that is where he got her the first time. Okay. So Mosley approached her with a hunting knife in his hand, and as she tried to run toward the front of the building, he quickly overtook her and stabbed her twice in the back. She screamed, the kind that chills you to the bone, and according to many witnesses, the loudest they've ever heard. Being three in the morning, the the area was completely desolate. Franken's Pharmacy and Interlude Coffee House were both closed, and most people were asleep. But... There were a few who heard her blood-curdling screams. Robert Moser, one of Kitty's neighbors, awoke and saw the struggle occurring down below and called out to leave that girl alone. And then he went back to bed. Okay. Realizing that residents had awoken after she screamed, Oh my God, he stabbed me, help me. And in fear of being identified, Mosley ran from the scene back to his car. Kitty got to her feet, not having suffered any fatal wounds, and made it around to the back of the building. Finally inside, she collapsed in the vestibule right before the stairs. Okay, now we're going to go look at the diagram. Okay. Alright. So, you can see where the parking lot was. Mm-hmm. She, okay, she went to the front of the building. Can you see where, like, yep. the Tudor building? That's her building. Yeah. Okay. You can see where it says first attack. Mm-hmm. She went to the front first because it's more lit than the back. And she figured that one would be safer. Mm-hmm. Because she did see him when she was walking towards the building. Mm-hmm. And she started to walk faster, but he caught up with her. Gotcha. Okay. When she went around to the back of the building, that's where she would usually go. But at nighttime, she went to the front because it was lit. Okay. 
Okay, so she went around to the back. She went in through the back entrance, and she collapsed pretty much at the opening where the stairs were. Okay. Or the entrance where the stairs were. Meanwhile, Mosley sat in his car waiting. He wasn't done with his mission. While sitting there, he realized that the police weren't racing to the scene, so he returned 10 minutes later. First, he got out, and he went to the railroad station, like where the parking lot was, and the coffee shop for some reason. They were all locked. Maybe he thought that she had gone in there. Mm-hmm. But then he went around to the back of the building, and uh, he found Kitty lying barely conscious in a hallway at the back of the building. Now out of sight from any people on the street, Mosley repeatedly stabbed her before raping her and stealing $49. Oh, my gosh. This is when her neighbor, Carl Ross, happened to open his door. His apartment was at the top of the stairs mm-hmm. that looked directly down to where Kitty was. Okay. He opened the door, saw what was happening, and just closed his door. He reportedly called his girlfriend, and she was like, look, dude, don't get involved. Oh, my God. Yeah. There's reports that he did eventually call the police, but I, I, I don't know. All right, so I'm going to show you the rear entrance. That's what she said. (laughs) See where it says 8270? Oh, yeah. Okay, right inside that door is where she was. Right inside the door. I have a picture of the vestibule. It's kind of grainy because it's a New York Times newspaper photo. 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 Um, That's from the top of the stairs from what Carl would have seen. They were down there on the floor. Okay. So, you just kind of get an idea. Anyways. So, approximately 30 minutes after Mosley first approached her, he fled from the scene, leaving an unconscious kitty to be discovered. Originally, it was reported that she died alone, but she didn't. Sophia Farrar, uh, her close friend, and actually lived like two doors away from her. Mm-hmm. Lady that she had coffee with all the time. Like, they were they were actually really good buds. Sophia got the call around 4 a.m. that Kitty was in the hallway bleeding, and she rushed down the stairs and held her in her arms until an ambulance arrived. It was really devastating. She said it took her a while to get Kitty calmed down. She was still waving her arms around and fighting Mm -hmm. and everything, and she could feel the stab wounds in her back and saw the defense wounds on her hands. Like, it was really bad. Yeah. Um, the whole family grieved very heavily. Her mom, when she found out, like, really did not take it well. Mm-hmm. Um, her mom suffered a stroke, and then her dad had a stroke that actually took his life. So, yeah, yeah they they suffered. Records of all the calls to the police are unclear, with multiple neighbors claiming to have called the police or called friends who called the police. It is reported officially that at 4.15 a.m. she was picked up by an ambulance. Several people did, in fact, hear her screams. Some completely ignored it. Some got up and looked out but saw nothing and went back to bed. Some even saw the first attack and did nothing and went back to bed. But people didn't want to call because they were scared or simply thought it was too messy. Mm -hmm. The stab wounds she sustained proved to be fatal, and Kitty died before making it to Queens General Hospital. She was buried three days later in Lakeview Cemetery in New Canaan, Connecticut. Following the incident, the coroner's report revealed that she suffered 13 stab wounds and several other defense wounds, indicating she tried to fight back. 
Homicide detectives began the search for her attacker, initially interviewing Marianne and the friend that Kitty went to dinner with that night, but they quickly dismissed them after their alibis checked out. And, of course, grilling Marianne for six hours about their relationship. Of course. Because, you know, that's Mm -hmm. what's important. Just six days after the brutal murder, Winston (laughs) Mosley was arrested for suspected robbery in Queens after a television set was found in the trunk of his white Chevrolet Corvair. That afternoon, in broad daylight, he was spotted going into a house. A neighbor called the police because that's what you do when you see some fishy shit. Yeah. Say something, say something. Mm -hmm. A detective remembered that the same color car had been reported by witnesses to Kitty's murder, and he matched witnesses' descriptions. During questioning, Mosley admitted to having murdered Kitty, plus two other women. That's about right. Annie Mae Johnson and Barbara Kralik? Kralik? Kralik. Kralik? I think it's Kralik. Okay. Police disregarded his confession of Barbara because another man, who maybe didn't actually kill her, Alvin Mitchell, was already serving time for it. There's a whole fucked up story to that. Wow. I, it was a lot of detail, but yeah, uh, mostly was fucked up for that too. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, I'm all, yeah, that's too much to get into. Mosley was arraigned before a judge, and yay for him in New York, you get trial by jury. Mm-hmm. He pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. Bullshit. Yeah, he was a cold hearted monster. <laughs> like, through and through he had no remorse for what he did and he even said that he had no remorse in court with her family there that's about right yeah what a dick i know (laughs) but in only 45 minutes 45 minutes it took 11 men and one woman 45 minutes to find him guilty that's all you need yeah that's all you need he was sentenced to death on june 15th 1964 good riddance yeah well however his sentence was later reduced to 20 years to life because bullshit evidence regarding his mental health should have been allowed. Blah, 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 blah. No, he knew what he was Don't doing. Don't care. Yeah. He was not. He knew exactly what he was. He killed two other women. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. And pretty much said sorry, not sorry. Oh, he's definitely not sorry. But he hasn't been in jail for the full sentence. Would you believe that he actually escaped from Attica prison in 1968? He cut himself with a bottle so bad that he needed surgery. Mm. So while he was at the hospital, he punched a guard and bolted. I have no words. <sighs> During that time, he terrorized one couple by tying them up, then raping the woman. He held another woman and her child hostage until they were rescued by the FBI. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, oh, don't worry. They they got him and added an additional 30 years to his sentence. He's been denied parole 18 times. But don't worry. He died in prison on March 28, 2016 at 81 years old. Ba-bay. Holla. <laughs> don't care. Sorry. That's whatever. I just no. don't. No. So other than a short blurb that appeared in the New York Times on March 14th, Kitty's murder did not receive much media attention in the initial few days following the brutal incident. Two weeks later, New York City Commissioner Michael J. Murphy told Times editor Abraham Rosenthal about the murder, which finally motivated the major news outlet to produce a story. 
The article, written by Martin Gansberg, entitled 37, Who Saw Murder Didn't Call Police, was published two weeks later and discusses in detail how 38 people stood idle as Kitty was ruthless, ruthlessly, ruthlessly stabbed 13 times. Words are hard. They're so hard. And there's lots of them. I have lots of words this week, you guys. Mm-hmm. Famously, it begins with this. For more than half an hour, 38 respectable law-abiding citizens in Queens watched a killer stalk and stab a woman in three separate attacks in Kew Gardens. Okay, there's so many things wrong with this. First of all, it it was not that long. Mm-hmm. It was not in half an hour. It wasn't 45 minutes. It was really, if you break it down and you reenact it or whatever, it was really actually only a couple of minutes. Yeah. And there weren't 38 people that saw it. Okay, there may have been 38 or even more that heard it, mm-hmm. but there were only really a few that saw it. There, There's yeah. other things wrong with this article, you know, like the fact that they reported and that she died by herself. Three separate attacks? It wasn't three two. separate attacks, it was two. So, just okay. little things like that, but they were trying to get attention, you know? The article made national headlines and the presumed attack of public apathy sparked widespread discussion about bystander intervention. Mm-hmm. It now catches a lot of flack for all the inaccuracies in it because of the fact that um, even when they knew it was incorrect, they still let it run. Mm-hmm. And people took it seriously because it was the New York Times. Yeah. When, when they were asked why they didn't make corrections to it or you know redact it or anything. Because they didn't want to change the narrative. It was too good of a story. And it was selling papers. Oh, that's about right. Yeah. It did, however, bring about one good thing that we still use today. 911. Yes. You know, they had numbers for police stations and everything, but it wasn't as fast and it wasn't universal. And plus... And it sure as shit isn't as easy to remember as 911. Exactly. Um, if you didn't know the local number, you were shit out of luck. Yeah. And if you wanted to call in a tip, it was not anonymous. Yeah. And a lot of people in that neighborhood and during that time period were scared of everything. There was, like in that neighborhood, there were a bunch of people that had been in concentration camps. Mm-hmm. So they didn't like authority. Yeah. They were in the midst of possibly going to war. In Vietnam, mm-hmm. there was a lot of stuff like people just and the the racism. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, just because of everything, mm-hmm. all of it combined. So, although thirty eight witnesses has since been determined to be an overestimate of the number of people who were actually aware that Mosley was attacking Kitty, this gruesome attack continues to represent a common psychological phenomenon: the bystander effect. This concept refers to the tendency to be less likely to assist a victim when other people are present. It can be difficult to know how to act in a high-pressure situation in which an individual appears to be in danger. To help guide the course of action, psychologists have devised multiple decision models of bystander intervention. There are also several factors that affect the magnitude of the bystander effect. The extent to which the situation is labeled as an emergency will affect how likely an individual is to act. There are several studies that demonstrate that when a situation is perceived to be particularly threatening or unusual, bystander intervention is more likely. Another factor that contributes to the severity of the bystander effect is group membership. Okay, basically, in other words, when there's a lot of people, they don't react. 
when there's less people, they're more likely to react. Because everybody always thinks, well, Somebody so many else will people do it. see this, mm-hmm. surely someone else is taking right. care of it. Exactly. So that's basically, it just made people more aware. Because it is really sad. Like, it doesn't matter if it was one or two or 38, mm-hmm. people still saw it and she probably could have been saved. Oh, yeah. By several people. Yeah. There are so many other things that go into this case. I'm done, by the way. Uh, <laughs> there's, well, all right. There's so many other things. I could have had a 20-page case on this. Yeah. I tried to narrow it down. If I left any holes, if y'all are sitting there going, what the fuck? Go watch The Witness. It's free on Prime Video right now. They did an excellent job. This documentary, like I know I always say, yay, documentary. I've never cried my eyes out in a documentary before. (laughs) I boo-hooed like a little bitch. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) I did. It got me. The end of it got me. Yeah. They reenacted the screams, and it made it real. And I didn't... (laughs) Let's see. Shut up! (laughs) So... (laughs) I can't, I can't. <laughs> so there, I'm done. You did a good job. I hope so. I'm proud of you. Because I really like that one. This is a good episode. I think so. These last two have been really, really fun. I think we're getting the hang of this. We might actually know what we're doing. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No, no, no. Hold on. <laughs> Got a little overzealous on that. Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> uh, yeah, getting the hang of it. I'm going to stick with the that. Hang of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, we haven't said this in a while. What? So, guys, if you have any topic ideas, oh yeah, things you want us to talk about, hit us up. Hump day treats. Hump day treat ideas. Yeah, we're still accepting personal ghost stories. Always. 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 If you guys own a small business or anything Mm -hmm. that we might be able to do a hump hump day treat thing with, let us know. Yeah. Well, and it doesn't have to be local necessarily. Yeah. If we can order it, that's cool too. Also, it does not have to be food or drink. No. Any way to treat ourselves. Any treat. That's what a hump day treat's all about. Y'all remember the, uh, mind, body, and soul face mask (laughs) fiasco. Hey, I liked it. We need to do something like that again. Touch my face. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, I forgot about that. (laughs) Smooth as a baby's butt. Mm -hmm, Indeed. I do need that again. My face is feeling a little dry right now. Yeah. We might have to do that next week. What else? Anything else? I don't have anything. That's all I got to. Alright, well, um, I guess... Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Thanks for hanging out with us. Don't forget to visit us on Facebook and Instagram for episode picks and announcements. Please rate and review on Apple, Spotify, and Facebook. We want to give a huge shout out to Stephen Goetzky for editing, Craig Weaver for music, and our very own Amanda Hagens for art. We'll talk at you next week.